Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Copy of the notes, you can kind of raise your hand and we'll get them to you. If you'd like a copy of the notes, you can take them home and study. The Holy Ghost will add a whole lot more to them for you. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of studying your word together tonight. As your word declares that you want us to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. As you said Jesus yourself, that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so we commit ourselves to your word that we might hide it within our hearts, that we might not sin against you. As we study your word, may your spirit give us ears to hear it, hearts to receive it, minds to understand it and know it. Change us by what we hear from glory to glory, that we might conform to the very image of Jesus and become that for which he shed his precious and holy blood. We thank you that we shall go forth from this place inspired, hallelujah, by your spirit to be a blessing to those all around us that we might lead them to your saving grace. Father, we thank you for this honor that we have to live at this moment in history, at this time in which you've called us to reach our generation with the life-changing truths of the gospel. Be glorified in our midst in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I started a series, just a couple of lessons, I guess, on abundant life and this is number two on abundant life and in first of all just a review for those of you that weren't here the purpose of living is fruit bearing point number one that we made fruit bearing remember Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 after God created man he said he placed him in the garden he said be fruitful first thing he said he made it in his image and likeness and said, be fruitful. Can you imagine that? The very first thing he said, as far as their marching orders were concerned, and their commission was concerned, be fruitful. And sometimes when you think of that, you think about having children, but there's more than just having children that he's saying here. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish, replenish the earth, and subdue it all in one breath. So if my mind is correct in my thinking, they are crowned with glory and honor. The highest of God's creation. They're there before the presence of the living God. And he proclaims over them. Be fruitful. First words out of his mouth. The commission. Multiply. Replenish the earth and subdue it. In other words, you give birth to offspring just like you. Be fruitful. Bring them into the earth with the understanding that they are to subdue it as well, with dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and every creeping thing that creeps upon the face of the earth. That was the commission. That was the charge that God gave them. Well, the purpose then for living is being fruitful. The key to being fruitful or fruit-bearing is abiding. Do you recall what took place in the beginning? They severed themselves or disconnected from God when they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because they were no longer abiding 
in him? What happened? They gave birth, good and evil, Cain and Abel. And what happened there? There would have never been someone born from their loins that would have had the impetus to do evil like Cain did to kill his brother Abel. So we see what happened. Now remember what Jesus said in John 15? You can do nothing except you abide in me. So you can see the same mentality being shifted over in the New Testament. But because they weren't abiding in him any longer, they gave birth to all that is evil in this realm in which we live through the fall. The key to abiding is obeying. Obeying. It's up to us to obey because Jesus said very clearly that if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. As I kept my father's and abide in his love. So the key to abiding is obeying. So we're going to start seeing these things, the pattern. There's six things we're going to point out here. So fruit bearing, abiding, and obeying. We pick it up at point four. What is the key to obeying? Well, the key to obeying is loving. Look at John's gospel, chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, if you really love me, you will keep my commandments. So you see, the key to obeying is loving. Now, people obey for different reasons. The first reason that we could know is a fear-based reason. Anybody ever get picked up for speeding? Ever? Maybe once. Maybe twice. Well, once you get your ticket, go to the magistrate, get it all dealt with, and then you get back into the car, you start driving on the highway. What happens? You're afraid to get picked up again. You know the points that's going against your license and all that. So what do we do? What we do is based on we have to keep the law. We try to keep and should keep and have to keep the law but because we're afraid of the circumstance or the um, outcome. What's going to happen? The consequences of disobeying the law again, obviously, we're well aware of right now. It's like a child. A child that may not want to do something. But he does something because he's been told by his parents, if you do not put that thing down and do what I'm asking you to do, I was going to say that they can go to the rim, but no, take their phone off of them for about the rest of the night. Well, they perk up right away. But that's called fear-based obedience. Can you see that? Sure. You keep the law out of fear. You're fear-based. The child obeys, fear-based. But then there's also number two, need-based. This is to get what we want. Now, this teenager, he maybe he's 17 years old, and he wants to use the car on Friday night. And so he comes home from school, and he asks his father, can I use the car? And the father says, if you take out the garbage and wash the car, then you may use the car. You never saw anybody move so fast in your life. 
the garbage is in the garbage can. He's got his clothes changed in a hurry. He's out in the driveway. He's washing the car and boom, he's ready to go, man. To get himself a shower and he's ready to go. He's off. That's called need base. You see, he wanted a favor. He wanted something from his father. But you know what? Let's just change that scenario. It's Saturday morning. He wants to sleep in a little bit. And his father says to him, I need you, son, to wash the car and take out the garbage. He said, I'll get around to it sometime. See, the need's not there to have the car that afternoon, so he's not all concerned about getting it done right away. But you see the motivation before when he had a, a need that he wanted to have met? So it's need-based obedience. You can see that he did that. Look at the book of um, Isaiah. Chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Let's kind of put these two together. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient. Notice those two words, willing and obedient. You shall eat the good of the land. That's abundant life. But if you refuse and rebel, what's going to happen? You're going to have to face the sword and the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So, if we're willing and obedient, we can eat the good of the land. The reason why he said willing is because he understood there could be fear-based obedience, there could be need-based obedience. But if we're willing and obedient, then we can eat the good of the land. And so it's important for us to know that God wants us to be willing to do the things he wants us to do, not just do them because we're forced into doing it or we want some particular favor from the Lord. Well, for example, um, let's say with going to church. When you were growing up, it could very well be that your parents forced you to go to church. I know that was the case with me when I was young. Um, you know, when you're not born again, church isn't all that appealing. A am I right? Actually seems somewhat boring. Mm -hmm. I used to sit there and watch flies land on people's heads. And make a path around the top of the head. And then when my friend saw it and started laughing and got me laughing. And you know, when you start laughing in a place like that, you can't stop the laughter. Do you know what I mean by that? Then I found my mother giving me a pinch, a, a pinch and a twist on the back of my arm. And oh, it was painful. But we were forced to go. Then you might go because, let's just say that I need a favor from God. Probably the best thing for me to do is go to church. So let's go to church and see if I can get a favor from God. Okay, you need something. But there was a third motivation. It's called love-based. Love-based obedience. This is obedience based on a heart filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. A sincere, genuine want to, a desire to. In other words, I don't have to obey I don't need to obey for a favor. I want to obey because I love my Father. I love the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit so much. I am motivated, self-motivated. Look at 1 John chapter 4 and, and verse 19. What it says. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Listen to that statement. He knew that if he would love us the way he loved us, 
in laying down his life, shedding his precious blood, bearing the wrath of God upon his soul, taking our sin, mental anguish, sickness, disease, the curse upon himself, that someone somewhere would appreciate that so much that they would love him back. Not out of force, not out of need, but genuine gratitude and thanksgiving. See, he knew that. And he was right. Jesus is looking for love-based obedience. Look at John's gospel. Love-based obedience. Obedience that is motivated from a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. This is the English Standard Version translation. Notice that. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So notice how he has basically defined who loves him. The person that loves him will take his commandments and keep them. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. So in other words, we don't show them that we love him because we say, Lord, I love you so much. We show them that we love him by keeping his commandments. Finding out what they are and then obeying them. And not necessarily just the Ten Commandments. We know the commandment of love is the New Testament commandment. But we'll talk about that in a moment. Look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. I thought, as I was studying this out and just in a time of devotion, this just here came to me, this, this here section of Scripture, this particular testimony. And it really spoke to my heart. One of the Pharisees desired that he would eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet or to eat. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, a prostitute, specifically, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself. Notice this is his own personal conversation with himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touched him. For she is a sinner, in the King James, a prostitute. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, the one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly uh, forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, See that, Seest thou this woman? I entered into your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, which was customary. But she hath washed my feet with tears, 
and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, which was customary. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, which was considered to be a mark of high honor and customary. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Now notice this. Love-based obedience. Simon the judge, who is judging Jesus, if you're really a prophet, you would have known who's touching you. She's a prostitute. You don't know that? What kind of a prophet are you? He probably was arrogant. I don't know for sure, but I would think that he probably thought that he's on the same plane with Jesus. And maybe now, since he didn't recognize that she's a prostitute, then maybe he's even better than Jesus. You should have known who this woman is. I know who she is. You should have known that. You're a prophet. Come on, prophesy. Do whatever. Well, Simon the judge became Simon the judged. You see, it was customary that they would treat someone who would come into their house by washing, getting them water for their feet to get the dust off their feet, to kiss them on the cheek, and possibly even anoint them to honor them as they come into their home. The culture, that's what their culture was. But he said, look, you didn't obey any of that. Why? Because you thought you were better, maybe equal with me or whatever. But look at this woman here. You look down on her. You judge me, you judge her, but she's washed my feet with her tears. She's dried them with her hair. She's kissed my feet. And she anointed me with this expensive ointment. His oil would have been cheap. Now tell me. You see, Simon, because you think you don't need much forgiveness, that you're so righteous and all that, Self-righteous, probably. You know, you love little. But this woman, because she had a lot of sin in her life, and when she saw an opportunity to be forgiven, she came for it. And guess what? She loves so much because she appreciates so much that she's been forgiven of so much. You see where that love is coming from? It is love-based obedience. That's what he's looking for. In other words, you're in church tonight. No one forced you to come. At least I don't think so. Maybe you did come with a need, but that's okay. If you were come to have a need met, that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. You want a favor from God, that's okay. But if your love for God is what brought you here, out of obedience to Hebrews 10.25 that says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together and all the more when you see the day approaching, which we know he's coming soon. What are we supposed to do? Fellowship. Gather together. Why? Because we love you, Lord. Because we love you. And that's why we're here tonight. To demonstrate our love for you. Okay, so when it comes to uh, obeying, the key to it is loving. Because if we really love him, we're going to obey him. Look at the next one, number five. The key to loving is knowing. The key to loving is knowing. The question is this. How can you love someone that you do not know? If you don't know someone, 
You can't love them. When it comes to marriage, I was going to say, when I was thinking about this, I was going to say, you know, you don't marry someone that you don't know, but today that's probably not always true. Look, some of these programs, you just, the bachelor, the bachelorette, you don't even know these people, maybe a degree after they get together, but in some cases they don't even know each other, but they just step into the realm of marriage. But basically what I'm talking about is you're going to marry somebody, you know that person, and you better know that person. You better know their convictions. You better know their attitudes, their personality, um, what their goals, what their dreams are, what their vision is. You need to know those things about each other, what their commitment, their level of commitment is, and so on. And so what do you do? You take time to get together and learn about one another. Same thing is true with friendships. They're very, very close friendships. And the reason why they're so close is because those two have learned to know each other. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 17. They've learned to know each other. And they've grown in their knowledge of each other. John 17, I believe it is, in verse 3. And this is what Jesus said. This is life eternal. That they might know thee. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So, the key... Uh, to loving is knowing. So how are we going to love him if we don't know anything about him? Someone once said to know him really is to love him. When we know him. So how are we going to do that? Well, first of all, look at John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 18. This is from the Amplified Version, the Classic Version. Jesus, when he came to the earth, he came to reveal to us the very heart, nature, the character, the love of God, his mercy, his grace, and so on. So that's why he came. He knew that we had nothing to relate to. We couldn't see the invisible God. And so the invisible God decided to robe himself in flesh. And he came to this earth. The word was made flesh. He dwelt among us and he walked on the earth. And look at what it says about him. No man has ever seen God at any time. The only unique son or the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, the intimate presence of the Father, he has declared him, he has revealed him, and brought him out where he can be seen. He has interpreted him, and he has made him known. So Jesus took the invisible God and brought him into the realm of visibility so that we can see him, so that we can know him. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 14, beginning at verse 6. Jesus said to him, that's Thomas, who said, we, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, had learned to recognize me, you would have also known my Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Felix said to him, Lord, show us the Father. Cause us to see the Father. That is all we ask. Then we shall be satisfied. Jesus replied, Have I been with all of you for so long a time, and do you not recognize and know me yet, Philip? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say then, show us the Father? So if we really want to see him and know him so that we could love him, we need to see Jesus. We need to take opportunity to go into the Gospels and just study the life of Jesus. And when we see Jesus in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and he starts revealing to us the very heart of God, 
the character of God, the nature of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. When we begin to see him everywhere he goes in Matthew 4, 25, 23, 24, 25, in those verses there where it talks about everywhere he went, all the cities, all the villages round about where he went, he found people that were sickly and in need of help. And he healed each and every one of them. Not one person was left out. So we see him going about being concerned about hurting humanity. When the woman that was taken in adultery was brought to him and they wanted to stone her to death because that's what the law said. Jesus said, anyone among you that doesn't have sin, throw the first stone. And they were convicted and he had mercy upon her. And he looked at her eyes and he said to her, daughter, where are your accusers? Aren't they here to condemn you? I don't condemn you either. But now go, you're forgiven, but sin no more. And the list goes on and on. When his disciples were about to drown in the boat, what happens? He calms the stormy sea. When they had need for food, he multiplies the loaves and the fishes. When they brought him those that were blind, deaf, dumb, and maimed up on a mountaintop, what does he do? He creates body parts for them right before their very eyes. And then he's concerned because they're now weak once again because they were with him for so long. He provides food for them again. Whoa, is this truly what God looks like? He's not this person up there with a rod of correction waiting to whip somebody. And he's a loving, caring, heavenly father. Absolutely. Just look at Jesus and you can see the father clearly. He is the perfect expression of the brightness of the glory of almighty God on this earth in human form. Having the spirit without measure. Having the anointing and the glory of God upon him without measure. When you see Jesus, that's what you see. Wonderful. So the key to loving is knowing. And so when we know all about Jesus and we know his sacrifice, what does it do? Helps us fall in love with him. Well, what's the secret then to knowing? Reading the Bible. Reading the word of God. See, sometimes people think they do it real, just religiously. Just, I read a chapter today. Well, okay, that's great. But what did you learn about Jesus? What did you learn about the Father? What did you learn about the Spirit? What did you feed on that gives you a revelation of who He is so that you could love Him? So you see, it's important that we recognize the reading of the Bible is so that we could have a love letter written to us by a loving God who tells us how much he cares for us and how much he loves us in letter form, book form, so that we can know him better. Think about someone, for example, that might be at a distance relationship and you send a letter to that person. You wouldn't know their heart. You wouldn't know their mind. The letter's sitting there on the table, but you never pick it up and you never read it, you never look at it. How are you going to know what they're thinking? They may have sent you something very important, but it's just sitting there. You're not looking at it. Maybe a week goes by. You haven't looked at it at all. Maybe they finally give you a call and say, well, what did you think? Well, about what? The letter I sent you. My goodness, I asked you to think about this for a few days and give me a call back and let me know what's going on. And what you think about it, I really want, I value your opinion and your thoughts. No connection there. You see, the, the New Testament, the epistles are letters, love letters written to us from him so that we can know him and know what he thinks about us and know what he feels about us and also his expectations of us. I said this on Sunday morning. If I really love him, want to keep his commandments, how can I, if I don't know what they are? How can I meet his expectations if I don't know what they are? 
When I do premarital counseling, I will get a sheet out for both of the individuals and say, write down 25 expectations that you have of each other. And at first, the eyes get real big because 25 expectations? Mm -hmm. I want them to think outside the box. I want them to think, why do I want them to think outside the box? Well, let's put it this way. If I don't know what Krista expects of me, how can I please her and fulfill those expectations? If I don't know what I expect of her, how could she know what she expects of me? It's impossible. Instead of navigating blindly to find out what's going to please her, what's going to please me, I have these two people write them down. And at first they just really get stumbling. I said, look, it's simple. Take out the garbage. You do the bills. You do the dishes. You do the laundry. I expect the grass to be cut. I expect food on the table when I get home. I'm not saying you have to, it's not a mandate, but if you have expectations, ladies, we men are not that smart. You have to tell us what you expect if you want it accomplished. Okay, it's not a guessing game. Just tell me, tell us, and we'll get the job done. See, and then before you know it, they find out they have a lot of expectations. But if you don't communicate those expectations, then they cannot be received and they cannot be fulfilled. And so rather than blindly trying to get through this marital relationship, get, playing a guessing game, let's just put it out there on the table so that you know exactly what to expect of each other. Well, I believe that God wrote us a letter of expectations. And in this book, we find the expectations he has of us. He expects us to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He expects us to walk in love. And there's a list there that will go on. As a matter of fact, think about this. If Jesus made this statement, if you love me, keep my commandments, or if you love me, do my word, have we ever taken the time to do a study in the Gospels to find out some of the mandates that he set forth or some of the expectations that he laid out for us? Now, for, for the most part, people will write down the promises. Look at all these promises of God. But did you know before the promises come the expectations? Mm -hmm. Every promise has a condition. And so if we were to take it upon ourselves to find out that he said... Do unto others as you would have others to do unto you. That's what he said. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your arm or your hand offends you, cut it off. If you have odd against your brother, before you come worshiping me, get it right. Some of the things and many other things that Jesus said give us a revelation of his expectations. And guess what? We shouldn't want to go into the Bible to do it because I'm forced to do it because someone told me to do it or I have a need so I better do it. No, we want to be love motivated. Obedience, love motivated. Amen? It's love based. And say, I love you so much, Lord. I want to know what you say I should or should not do. Amen? I want to do it. Why? Because I love you so much. I want to follow your will for my life. I want to fulfill your expectations. What about this one? Deny, if you man will follow me, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That's what I want you to do. So if we took a list of these and wrote them down, we could look them over and just say, hmm, I better get on the stick with this one or that one or the other one. 
Why? Because I want to show you, prove to you that I love you. Okay, let's look at John 3 and verses 16 and 17. We read the Bible. Here's what we find out. For God so loved the world. Are you part of the world? Say this with me. Thank you, Father, for loving me. That you sent Jesus to die for me. See, that it goes on to say that whosoever believes in him, he expects us to believe in him. Would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Aren't you glad? But that the world through him might be saved. Okay. So in other words, when I live my life and I share the gospel with somebody else, I let them know God loves you so much. I had someone recently tell me, but I could never live the life. He said, I said, well, you don't have to. All you have to do is give your life to Jesus and let him live in you. And he'll empower you to live the life he wants you to live. You can't do it on your own. doesn't matter who you are. It takes the grace of God, the power of God, the nature of God. By nature, we follow the wrong individual, right? By nature, we submitted to the leadership of the enemy. But now by nature, with a new nature, we can submit ourselves to God who loves us and gave us the divine enablement and empowerment to carry out his purpose and his will to live for him. Okay, look at the next one. In, uh, this, is, this is a good one. Philippians, uh, no, 1 Peter first. 1 Peter 3. Casting all your care upon him. Why? Have you ever walked around the house saying nobody cares about me? Are you glad you got that puppy dog? That's the only one that cares. Comes up and licks your ankle and doesn't matter what you've said, what you've done or anything like that. Just, just loves you unconditionally. Okay, casting all your care upon him. Why? 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 Because he cares for you. All your anxieties, all your worries, all your frustrations, all your fretting, cast them on him. Why? He will carry them for you. That's what he's saying. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25 to 34? He said, take no thought for your life. Don't worry. Have anxiety about your life, what you're going to eat, drink, what you're going to wear, what you're going to put on. Remember he said that? Because you can't add one cubit to your stature by worrying, so why worry when it's not going to get you anywhere? The Father knows you have need of all these things. All you have to do is seek the kingdom, and all those things will be added to you. So, He cares for you. Say it with me. The Lord cares for me. See, He will carry the burdens for us. Cast all your burdens upon Him. And so we get to know that. We get to learn that. Philippians 4.19. Look at the next one. But my God shall supply all your need according unto his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Notice it didn't say according to the economy, but his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Well, he's wealthy in Christ Jesus. He owns the silver, the gold, the cattle on a thousand hills. It all belongs to him. And he said, look, if you just seek me, if you set your love on me, I'll provide all your need. And so we thank him for that. Now, this is, these are wonderful promises that he's making to us. But... This is how we get to know him as Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord, our provider. And then next, you need strength for the day. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who empowers me, who strengthens me, who infuses inner strength into my life. I believe it says it similar to that in the uh, Amplified Version of the Bible. We can do all things because Christ will interject or insert, infuse into us strength that we need. And so you see, we can walk around and we can start saying things like this. I know you care for me, Father. I've got the situation. I need some help here. 
He says, look, I'll empower you. Just say what my word says. The Lord's my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? God is my refuge and strength, my very present help in time of trouble. I, therefore will I not fear. Though the earth be removed and the mountains carried to the midst of the sea, I will not fear. For beneath me are his everlasting arms. So you are the strength of my life. And I thank you that I can, by your grace, by your power, by your divine enablement, carry out the life mission that you've called me to. So we learn, we know some things about him. Okay, and then reading, let's go on to the next one, John 10, 11. This is a, a very, very good one. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. You are a lamb. We're all sheep. I'm not a hireling, he said, in this whole context, who... Uh, who's been hired to watch the flock. I said this on Sunday. It bears repetition at this point. You have a good shepherd. Jehovah Ruah is the Lord, our shepherd. We shall not want. And that came from King David. And he wrote that psalm as he was inspired, watching his father's sheep. You see, he too wasn't a hireling. He was part of the family, a good shepherd. A good shepherd will lay down the life, his life for the sheep. And when a lion came to take one out, he chased it down and killed it. When a bear came, he chased it down and killed it and brought the little lamb back into the fold. He laid out his life for the sheep, which really then prompted him, I'm sure, at some point in his life to sit down gazing up at the stars. And he's gazing up at those stars and he thought, you know, man, I did that for the sheep. You ever been nose to nose with a lion? No. Be happy. Amen. I think it was a Kenny, no, not Kenny, somewhere. Where was it? I know where it was. It was when we were on vacation in Myrtle Beach at Barefoot Landing. And there was a plexiglass between us and a ferocious lion. And you can walk right up to the plexiglass and nose to nose with a lion. Your head would be gone in a heartbeat. Just like that. Imagine a bear. And there's David out there slaying a lion and a bear with his bare hands to protect the sheep. So I can imagine him just lying under the stars and say, that's a good shepherd. But Lord, who's my shepherd? Lord, you're my shepherd. I shall not want. You make me to lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside still waters. You restore my soul. You lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me every day of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you see that coming out of him? Now he's ready to face the giant. And the giant Goliath is no match for him. After you defeated the bears and the lions, no problem to feed the giants. So you think about it. He had a revelation of God through meditation. And really that's what it's all about. Reading is what enables us to know. See, when we read the scriptures, we get to know him. 
knowing then, what does it do? Leads to our loving him. Loving him leads to obeying him. Obeying him leads to abiding in him. Abiding in him leads to fruit bearing. And fruit bearing leads to an abundant life. And I'll show it to you. Look in the book of Psalms. Chapter 1. This is from the New Living Translation. Oh, the joy of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the river, that bearing fruit, bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. What do they do? Bear fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. Did you get that? Hallelujah. In other words, it all starts with reading the word and meditating the scriptures. And that leads to knowing, which leads to loving which leads to obeying, which leads to abiding, which leads to fruit bearing, which leads to an abundant life. And there's so much more here because this, we're not talking about the ministry of the Spirit and all that, but that's all in there if we were to meditate on it. Okay, look at this next one. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe. Notice those two words. We've come to know and we've come to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world. There is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment or torment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Notice that. You see, when we learn love, how much he loves us, and we respond by loving him back, it deals with fear-based obedience. It helps us rise above need-based obedience so that we can demonstrate love-based obedience. I'm here because I love you, Lord. I give because I love you. I refuse to go to bed angry because I love you and I want to show you I desire to keep your commandments. Can you see all this put together? So these are the six things that are helpful to us. Let's close it out with Deuteronomy chapter 30 so we can see it was a concept also in the Old Testament as well. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have sent before you life and death, blessing, cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and your seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord your God, and that you may obey his voice. No, love and obey. And that you may cleave to him, for he is your life, and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, to Jacob, to give them Notice this, so that you may be blessed in that land. See, that was the promised land. So if we love him, 
that will move us to obey him, which enables him to bless us with an abundant life. So that's the whole thing in a nutshell. Praise God. So if we will just but do what Jesus said, praise God. He said we should be filled with the Holy Ghost. They which believe on him should be filled or should receive the power of the Holy Ghost. He told his disciples, wait until you're in do with power from on high. If we would just take the words of Jesus and do what he said, because we love him, makes all the difference in the world. And I believe it can lead to a place that we have the abundant life that he's talking about. Now, it's important for every one of us to evaluate our own lives, our own hearts, kind of locate ourselves. Nothing wrong with doing an examination. You know, we know it's good to have a physical examination to make sure everything is going well. But we can also do a spiritual examination as well. Examine our own hearts. Because you see, Jesus said something to a church in the book of Revelation. He said to them, it was at Ephesus, he said, you've kind of left your first love. Now you've got everything going for you in the church. And from outward appearances, it looks like everything is top notch. You've got enough money. You know, you're doing this, you're doing that. A lot of programs that are going on and this and that and the other thing. He said, but you lost something or you left something. You left your first love. You're not being motivated or prompted, prompted by love. You're doing it either. You feel forced to do it. You have to do it or whatever their motive was. I don't know. But Jesus made it very clear. You got to get your love back. Got to get your love back. And he told them how. Remember from where you fell. Remember. Remember. Repent. And repeat. Do the first thing over. So we evaluate our own hearts. And again, even as a minister, do you know what? I spend so much time in the word to prepare to teach it. That if I'm not mindful, I'll forget about feeding myself what I need to receive. Do you realize that? No one's exempt from it. We're all the same. And many that are in the same situation where they're teachers. I remember Brother Copeland saying one time, he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to study this particular uh, subject and not to teach it to people. That's what he told them. This is for you. Once again, we're living in these bodies of ours that are flesh and we know they don't want to serve God. So it's important that we realize that we need to feed our passion because if not, the passion will die. So remember, evaluate yourself. Do you have a love for the word like you once had? Evaluate yourself. Well, I need to really get back into the word of God. Let me just do a little study here and read the commandments that Jesus spoke of. Jesus, what do you want me to do with my life? Like I said, just read the Sermon on the Mount. There's a bunch there. A bunch of statements that he made that we could look over for ourselves and just say, you know what? I'm going to start living that way. You know why, Lord? Because I love you. And once again, and remember this, if I'm not interested in finding out what he said, how can I really say I love him? Right? Amen? Are you still out there? Or have you gone home? Is it not true? Yeah. If I really love him, man, wow, Jesus, what did you say here? Oh, love others as you love me? Now that's a tall order, Lord. But if you said to do it, I know you provide the strength 
the ability, the means by which I can do it. What did you say? Don't let any filthy communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good that edifying, that administer grace of the hearer, and grieve not the Holy Ghost. Oh, okay. Put a watch over my mouth. Put a watch over my lips. Hmm. Wow, did you really say that? Amen. <laughs> and there's so much more that he said. I just want to rekindle within our hearts a passion for God. Because we want the blanket of God's glory to rest upon this edifice. We want to be able to come into this sanctuary and guess what? God got here first. We can't even stand up to minister for by reason of the cloud for the glory of the Lord. Which is much stronger than even the anointing of God. Amen. Much greater. Praise God. But how does it happen? My father's house would be a house of purity. A house of prayer. A house of power. Where there's perfected praise. And that gives place to the greater glory of God among us. Amen. Hallelujah. So let's do it. Are you, are you with me? Are we together on this? Lord, we want your best in this place. Let's stand together before the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence, to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and I'll accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus I'm now your child, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.